And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, and come in my dress room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Dick Powell stars as Richard Diamond, private detective from 1950. Then Irma thinks she's inherited $50,000 on part one of a comedy episode of My Friend Irma, starring Marie Wilson from 1948. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf, with the largest dimples maybe on the face of the earth. You know, I'll have to stop smiling, and that way you yeah. won't see them. Well, uh, Mike and I are going to bring spackle next week. You won't need it. I won't smile, and then there will be They'll no... go away? It won't be necessary. I don't know. They're kind of cute. I like them, actually. Um, I kind of wish... I think I'm just secretly jealous. I would like... To have dimples. I think you're just jealous of me in general. Maybe it's not true. for dimples. This is true. Yeah. I am I'm jealous of everybody. Actually. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time now for Richard Diamond, Private Detective. This was a detective series created by Blake Edwards. Came to NBC Radio in 1949. Lasted all the way to 1953. And it starred actor, crooner Dick Powell. Now, Dick Powell had played Philip Marlowe in RKO's movie Murder My Sweet, and so radio producers said, let's cast him as Richard Diamond. Now, Richard Diamond was a New York-based private eye, and he loved ribbing the cops and singing songs to his millionaire's girlfriend, Helen Asher, played by Virginia Gregg. Now, the theme song to this program, Leave It to Love, was whistled by Powell at the beginning and end of every episode. Powell's production company, Four Star Television, created a TV version of this program starring David Jansen that ran from 1957 through 1960. All right, it's time now for Richard Diamond, Private Detective, one of the best detective shows on radio. Let's go back to August 9th, 1950, for the Edna Wolf case. Any relation, Lisa? Edna. Yeah, yeah that's my sister. Oh, your sister. Mm-hmm. All right. This stars Dick Powell. Here's part one of Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Listen, while the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Rexall Family Druggist brings you another exciting half hour with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. (laughs) 
Well, are you, Mr. Diamond? Oh, my goodness, yes. Come right in. My name is Wolf. Well, unofficially, so is mine. Sit down. Thank you. Oh, no, no, my pleasure. You must get a dividend from the nylon companies. Be terrible if there was a shortage. I'm well stocked. Now, what can I do for you? Start by calling me Edna. Then what? I'd like you to follow my husband. As a detective or a replacement? I think he's been seeing another woman. Why? Have you been running around the house in a diving suit and swim pants? I've always tried to keep myself attractive for my husband, Mr. Diamond. Well, then if your husband is seeing another woman, Mrs. Wolfe, it's got to be an optometrist assistant. Well, thank you. I think you and I are going to get along just fine. Well, now that we're all agreed, tell me some more about your husband. What makes you think there's another woman? Usual things. The way he's been acting. Business appointments every evening. Nothing else? He received a call late this afternoon. I listened in on the extension. It was a woman. She called the house? George was very unhappy about it. Warned her never to do it again. She gave a name? She said, this is Nancy. I must see you here tonight at 8 o'clock. Hmm. She didn't say where here was, did she? No, George seemed to understand. Probably her apartment. Probably. If he's seeing another woman, I want a divorce, Mr. Diamond. And you need grounds. Yes. A hundred a day in expenses, Mrs. Wolfe. Edna. It's still a hundred a day in expenses. Here's... Two hundred. I hope that's enough of a retainer. Oh, that'll keep me interested for quite a while. Now, uh, tell me, what does your husband do? Oh, I I, I mean his business. He's in steel. How much in? Very much. He's vice president of his company. What does he look like? Here's a picture of him. Hmm. Well, I'll start right away and see what I can find out for you, Mrs. Edna. Yeah. Well, look, after I found out just how unfair your husband's treating you, I might lend you my shoulder to cry on. And I'd just about have to call you Edna then, wouldn't I? By 7 o'clock, I was standing across the street from her house waiting for her wandering husband. By 7.30, a man stepped out on the sidewalk and hailed a cab. I recognized him from the photograph as George Wolfe. And I started the tale, following him east across town to an apartment house on 47th Street. By the time I got in the lobby, it was deserted. A list of names on the mailboxes showed the only girl named Nancy in the building was a Nancy Fowler. So I headed for her apartment. Her door was at the far end of the hall, and I was halfway to it when George Wolfe bounded out and ran right into me. Let me go. Take your hands off of me. You forgot to close the door. Get out of my way. What's the matter, friend? You look like you ran into a yard full of snakes. Will you get out of my way or must I use force? Well, use all you like, but I think you better go back and close the door. No, no. Yes, yes. Stop it. You can't do this to me. Well, I hope you aren't always this wrong. No, no. Please. Now get in the room. <laughs> oh, swell. No wonder you took off like that. I didn't kill her. I swear I didn't kill her. Nancy Fowler? But... Yes, I guess so. You guess so? Well, this is Miss Fowler's apartment, but... I've never seen Nancy Fowler before in my life. There was the 38 revolver lying next to the dead girl, so I took out my own gun and covered Wolf while I called Lieutenant Levinson of Homicide to get right over. Wolf yelled, screamed, and pleaded, and even offered me a nice fat bribe. But we waited for Fatty Levinson and his squad of New York's finest. He finally arrived, but New York's finest was poorly represented. Hello, Shamus. In trouble again, huh? Walt, did you have to bring Otis? I promised he hasn't used the siren in four days. Who's this guy? George Wolfe. Caught him running out of the door. Well, Mr. Wolfe, what about it? I had nothing to do with it, but I'm not saying any more until I see my lawyer. He was crying all over the place before you got here, Walt. 
Landy got a call from a Nancy Fowler who asked him to come up here. That's the truth, Lieutenant. She said she had something important to tell me. Says he never even heard of Nancy Fowler before the call. That also is the truth. When I came to the apartment, I found her lying just as you see her. How'd you get in the door? She told me she'd leave it open for me to walk right in. Well, it came out the back just below the shoulder blades, Lieutenant. You on the gun, Mr. Wolf? I refuse to answer any more questions. Okay, take him down to the car, Otis. Come on, you... Rick, just how did you happen to be in this building at this particular time? Well, I was hired by that guy's wife, the tail M. He was supposed to be playing illegal footsies with a female named Nancy. The dead girl? Well, the wife just knew the first name was Nancy. The girl who's supposed to live here is named Nancy. Nancy Fowler. I've never seen her before. Maybe the dead girl is one and the same. Well, I'll get an identification and have the gun checked by ballistics. In the meantime, I'm going to give this apartment a good going over. Mind if I help? Now, what kind of an answer do you expect to that? You will anyway. He was so right. We started going over the apartment room by room. Closets, drawers, everything. In ten minutes, the coroner and the boys from the lab arrived. And in the bedroom, Walt found something. Take a look at this. Ah, jewelry box. Hey. Pretty expensive. Regal jewelers. Very classy establishment. Has a card in the box. For my darling love, George. <laughs> and the guy said he never saw her before. If this is his handwriting, he's as good as strapped in the chair. Well, it looked as if my client, Mrs. Wolf, had a killer for a husband. But a couple of small items still worried me. So I left Walt and went downstairs to find the switchboard operator. Oh, are you with the police? I just left them. Uh, tell me, dear, do you keep a list of the calls that are made through the switchboard? Sure, it costs the tenants ten cents a call. May I see the list? Yeah, I guess so. Here, handsome. Gee, nobody's called me that since I had long blonde curls and a gold yo-yo. I looked over the list of telephone calls and found the ones made by Nancy Fowler during the past three or four days. The last call listed from her apartment had been made at 7.45 that evening to a familiar telephone number. The same number Mrs. Wolfe had given me when she left my office earlier. I left for the home of Mrs. Edna Wolfe. Yes? Oh, Mr. Diamond, you shouldn't come here. What if my husband... Your husband's spending the night out. What? In a cell. All alone. Oh, you'd better come in. Now, what in the world are you talking about? Well, it looks as if your husband killed a girl this evening. Oh, no. That's the way it looks. Oh, please, sit down, Mr. Diamond. Thanks. I uh, caught him running out of the girl's apartment, forced him back, and found the girl shot to death on the floor. Nancy Fowler? Yes, I think so. It was her apartment. The police are making identification now. Oh, it's just terrible. I wonder why he did it. Were you here in the house at 7.30 this evening? Well, no, I was with a friend until about 8.30. Well, a call was made to your house from Nancy Fowler's apartment. She was charged for it, so the call was completed. But she probably talked to George. Your husband swears he didn't know the girl. Claims he got a phone call and she asked him to come right over. That she had something to tell him. He knew her all right. You remember, I told you I overheard them talking. Your uh, husband owned a gun? Well, yes, I believe so. Mm. You know what caliber? No, I don't know anything about guns. Uh, a bracelet was found in the dead girl's apartment. The card with it was signed, Love, George. Mm, it looks pretty bad, doesn't it? If it's his handwriting, it does. Well, I guess he deserves it, but I'll call our lawyer and see what can be done. I'll uh, keep in touch, Mrs. Wolf. I hope you will. Just because the case is finished. Well, there are still a few things that bother me, so I'll just kind of keep looking around until I'm satisfied. You mean you think maybe my husband didn't kill the girl? There's an awful lot of evidence that he did, but uh, there's still a motive to be found. 
You've got the grounds you wanted, so from here on in, anything I do for you or your husband will be on my own time. Anything you do for my husband, I'll be glad to pay for. Oh, well, now, that's, uh, that's real nice. Hmm. Well, I'll take a run down at the precinct and let you know what the lieutenant has found out. Good night, Mrs. Wolf. Still can't get used to Edna? It'll take a while. But you'd be in bed by now, Rick. My landlord short-sheeted me. What did you find out, Walt? The dead girl was Nancy Fowler. Mm, figured. And George Wolf did do the killing. His gun? Yeah, we checked the registration. His gun, his fingerprints on it, his handwriting on the note in the jewelry case. What does he say about the bracelet and the note? He bought it all right. We checked. Regal Jewelers. Says it was for his wife. You expect him to say something different? No. What's the motive? We'll find it. Probably another man. Here's the report on the dead girl, Lieutenant. Well, isn't it a little late for you, Otis? Why aren't you out flying around some belfry? He's picking on me again, Lieutenant. Maybe you'd like me to tell him about the time I caught you sleeping in the attic hanging by your toe. Oh, not you too, Lieutenant. Otis, I hear you've been picking up some extra money posing for Charles Adams. I don't have to take this. I know my rights, and I ain't no bad. Here's something on the dead girl. She works at the Gilded Cage, a nightclub owned by Eddie Young. Eddie Young. Wow. There's a nice little fella. He'd set fire to his grandmother if he thought it was too cold in the room. We'll have a talk with him tomorrow. Well, I guess I, I better be going. Sure. See you later. Yeah, I could sure use some sleep. Yeah. And, uh, Rick, when you get over to Eddie Young's club, give him my best. Smarty. The gilded cage where Eddie Young ruled as proprietor and keeper for his flock of hard gorillas was only about six blocks away, so I decided to walk it. But like always, I start in one direction and end up getting sidetracked. Keep walking, Diamond. Don't turn around. Uh, you caught me when I'm right in the mood. You turn around, I shoot you. What's the matter? Don't you want me to spot your Tony? Over to that car. Okay. Quit poking. Your muzzle's cold. You drive... I'll get in the back. Oh, I, uh, I forgot my glasses. Can't see three feet without them. Get in. But I have a restricted driver's license. You want it right here? I can wait. Where to? Just start driving and don't turn around. We headed east across town with a gun pointed at my neck. I tried to get a look at the guy in the rear vision mirror, but he was sitting too far to one side. I didn't know where we were headed, but I had a pretty good hunch why we were going there. Turn right. And take it a little slower. I don't want to have to shoot a cop. Well, if we're headed for the river, I've seen it. From the bottom? Don't you think we'd better stop at a bathhouse or something? I know a spot where you can go in clothes and all. Okay. But if there's anything I hate, it's getting my money wet. Turn right again. We were headed for a cross street. I could only turn right or left. A big warehouse was dead ahead. I eased down on the gas and we picked up speed as we neared the intersection. As I started to make the turn, I stamped down on the gas hard and at the same time threw myself toward the floorboard. His gun went off so close to my ear, I felt like my head had split wide open. Then we hit the building. <laughs> We had hit the building and pushed our way halfway through the brick wall. 
I was still on the floor, and the motor had been shoved through the firewall and was jammed into the front seat where I'd been sitting a minute before. My friend with a gun was stretched out over the top of the seat, his legs resting on the horn and his shoulders through the windshield. I sat up, rolled him off the horn. He was very dead. Before a crowd could collect, I climbed out and got to a phone, called Walt. Are you sure you're all right, Rick? Yeah, I can hear things better now. I just said the other guy's dead. Very, uh, I, uh, I recognized him, too. Uh, Gus Winkler. Holy cow. You know who he's working for now? No. Eddie Young. Oh, that's it. Well, don't pick Young up, Walt. I, I know a few things I haven't told you about, and this almost puts a cinch on it. I, I, I want to talk to Young, and then I'll be down to see you. But if Young tried to have you killed... Oh, if he did, you can't prove it. Not yet, anyway, so sit tight and... When I get there, I'll show you how to catch a killer. Uh, you were going someplace, chum? Yeah, right through that door, chum. Uh, that's Mr. Young's office. Maybe he don't want to see you. Uh, maybe he don't. He's going to be disappointed. Uh, uh, you, you ain't going in there, chum. I see. Everybody gets disappointed sooner or later, chum. Yeah, what... Aren't you in the wrong room? That's what your boy outside thought, and I changed his mind. Are you sure you ain't looking for Bellevue, Shamus? You're kind of a mess. One of your boys, Gus Winkler, tried to give me swimming lessons. He can claim his body at the morgue. I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody else who works for you got killed tonight, too. Yeah, who? Nancy Fowler. What? Oh, come on, Eddie. I couldn't stand it if you started crying. Who killed her? The police are holding a man named George Wolf. Know him? No, I don't know him, but Nancy's talked about him a couple of times. Hey, boss, that guy just... Forget it, Lou. Well, the boss, he... Forget it, will you? Go on, beat it. Okay. You know, Shamus Lou's a pretty big boy for you to go pushing around. He's liable to stay mad. So Nancy said she knew this George Wolf. That's right. Rich old guy, from the way she talked, she was taking him. Good. Where were you between 7 and 8 this evening? Right here in this office. I got witnesses. Oh, I'll bet you have. Okay, Eddie, I'll see you around. I left the office knowing how close I was to the whole answer and called Walt at the precinct. I told him to meet me up the block from the gilded cage, and ten minutes later, he pulled the squad car up to the curb, and I climbed in. You find out anything? Yeah, but I have to know one thing first. What time was Nancy Fowler killed? Garner's report puts it at 7.30. Well, that ties it. Now, would you mind telling me what it's all about? I'll do better than that, Walt. I'll show you. But we've got to wait until Eddie Young leaves the cafe and goes home. It was around 12.30 and we settled back to wait. And with an impatient cop sitting next to me, it wasn't easy. Around one in the morning, a boy brought Eddie Young's convertible up in front. We watched Eddie climb in. Okay, Walt, tell him. Stayed close, following Eddie Young across town until he pulled up in front of his apartment and turned into the basement garage. Give me five minutes, Walt. Then come on up to Young's apartment. Why can't I go now? Because what I'm about to do isn't quite legal, and I couldn't stand seeing you blush. Hold it, Eddie. Hey, what's going on? One yell and I'll kill you. Uh, look, look, Simon. 
Well, put away that gun, will you? What do you want? Let's go up to your apartment. But please believe me, Eddie. I'll do something bad if you get out of line. We rode the elevator up to Eddie's eighth-floor apartment. I shoved him in the door ahead of me and then made sure there was no one else around to give me any trouble. All right, all right. What do you want? Pick up that phone. Okay, we'll take it easy. Well, who do you want me to call? This number and hurry. I'll tell you what to say. Okay, on I don't get this. Evergreen Street. What's the matter? Don't you like that number, Eddie? I don't even know the number. Well, then dial it quick. Okay. And when you get an answer, just say, this is Eddie. Get right over here. I got to see you. And I'll look, Sharma. You look, Eddie. I'm going to hold this barrel right between your eyes so you can see it coming if you make a mistake. I won't make a mistake. Hello. This is Eddie. Yeah, get right over here. I got to see you. I, I can't talk. Goodbye. Okay, now, will you take that gun away? You look a little worried. What have I got to be worried about? I don't know who I was talking to. That should be the law, Eddie. What is this, Diamond? I'm sorry, I can't show you right now. Good night, Eddie. Wait a minute. Come on in, Walt. You said five minutes. Holy smoke, what happened to him? I just put him to sleep. We'll stay that way for a while. Now, Rick, you've got to tell me what's going on. I told you I'd show you. Now, go on in the kitchen and see if you can find some ketchup. Ketchup? Yeah, and then bring it out here and pour it all over Young. Have you lost your mind? Walt, I want, him to make, I want him to make him look like he's bleeding. Now, go find the ketchup or I'll just have to cut his throat. That's the first portion of Richard Diamond, Private Detective. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Walt found the ketchup and under protest poured it over the unconscious Eddie Young. Then I made sure the door was unlocked and we went out in the hall to wait. Please, Rick, what is this? It's the same way Nancy Fowler killing was framed, only she was really killed. Shh, shh, quiet, elevator. Okay, play along with it. Let's go, Walt. All right, hold it, Miss Wolf. Oh, Mr. Diamond, he's dead, he's dead. His head is all covered with blood. Why did you kill him? Kill him? I didn't kill him. I just got here. Who let you in? He told me the door would be open. I didn't know you knew Eddie Young. Well, I, well, yes, I know him as an old friend. Why? This is Lieutenant Levinson, Mrs. Wolf. He's the man who arrested your husband for the murder of Nancy Fowler. <sighs> Lieutenant, I swear I didn't kill Eddie. Looks bad, Mrs. Wolf. I didn't. Why would I want to kill Eddie? Well, why would your husband want to kill Nancy Fowler? I don't know. What has that got to do with this? You told me you didn't know Nancy Fowler. I didn't. You know Eddie. Nancy worked for Eddie. Well, I didn't know it. I didn't know Eddie that well. You said a girl called your husband and said her name was Nancy. Yes, that's right. You told me you didn't know her last name, and yet when I came over and told you your husband had just killed a girl, you asked me if it was Nancy Fowler. <laughs> 
That's a lie. You said that Nancy phoned your husband that afternoon. She did. She did. I swear she did. And yet Nancy Fowler's hotel switchboard has no record of a call being made to your phone any time in the afternoon. They made a mistake. But at 7.45, a call was made from Nancy's apartment to your phone number. Then she must have called my husband again. According to the coroner's report, Nancy Fowler was dead at 7.30. Oh, Mrs. Wolf, I can swear your husband didn't go into that building until 8 o'clock. I was following him. Doesn't make any difference with Eddie dead. Did Eddie kill the girl? Yes. I called my husband. I wanted to get a divorce. And his money at the same time. Eddie knew Nancy, so we decided she'd be the one. She let Eddie in. He made her call my husband. Then he shot her. The gun and the bracelet. You just took them out of your husband's dresser drawer and planted them in Nancy's apartment? Yes. I found the bracelet in the drawer with a gun. I guess my husband was going to surprise me. Uh, Eddie. Eddie is moving. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, darling. What happened? You're hurt. You're bleeding. Please. Stay still until we can call it. Wait a minute, will you? What is this stuff? This isn't blood. I'm covered with ketchup. Ketchup? Ketchup? Why, you dirty, no good. Uh, uh, uh. Eddie. They're all yours, Walt. Why? Good night, Mrs. Oh, I guess now is as good a time as any. Good night, Edna. Yes? Helen? Hmm? It's Rick, honey. Oh, isn't that sweet? I was just dreaming. Rick, it's four in the morning. Where are you? Oh, I'm helping Walt close up the gilded cage. Helping Walt close up the what? The gilded cage. Nightclub. I hear music. Hmm. Button is accordion. will love you. Are you drinking? Honey, I'm with the police force. <laughs> what was that? Well, that was Walt. He said, Rick... You stood me up this evening. Well, I'm going to make up for it, honey. Honey? Honey... Oh, well. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, stars Dick Powell in the title role. And it's written by Blake Edwards, with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Ted DeCorsia, Wilms Herbert, High Aberback, Stacey Harris, and Victor Perrin. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bill Foreman, inviting you to be with us next Wednesday at this time, when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Sarah Berner will delight you tomorrow with Sarah's Private Caper on NBC.
And that's Richard Diamond, Private Detective from August 9th, 1950, with the Edna Wolf case, starring Dick Powell, also in the cast, Virginia Gregg, Ted DeCorsia, Wilms Herbert, Stacey Harris, with Bill Foreman announcing, sponsored by Rexall, your family druggist, as heard on NBC. Well, before we tune into my friend Irma, I want to remind all of our listeners about this magazine that I'm holding in my hands right here. See this, Lisa? Yes, Remind Magazine. Look who is on the cover of the February issue of Remind Magazine. Look at that. Yeah. Charlie's Angels, yeah. Mike. Check that out, right? This particular uh, issue, the February issue of Remind Magazine, is all about top TV sleuths of the 1970s. So you have Charlie's Angels, you had the Rockford Files, Columbo, Kojak, Mannix, McLeod, and many, many more. Every issue of Remind Magazine is full color, and they always have some kind of a theme. And uh, they follow that theme throughout the entire thing, but they have tons of crossword puzzles and games and trivia contests, all kinds of fun stuff, tons of posters and pictures. And they also have the classic TV and movie listings for all of the classic TV and movie channels throughout the United States. So really cool feature they have here. And also they have uh, my article. I always write an article. It's called Radio 360. I write about somebody or something about the golden age of radio or TV. Now, this particular uh, issue, the February issue, I interviewed, when he was alive years ago, John Archer, who is Ann Archer's dad. He played The Shadow on radio for a while. He gave me a great interview, and I transcribed it for this issue of Remind Magazine. There's also our full schedule for Hollywood 360, all kinds of great things. I mean, I don't know how you can publish a better magazine than Remind Magazine. And they're our main sponsor here on Hollywood 360. So please do support them. Check them out. Go to any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store. Pick up a copy. But the best way to uh, subscribe to Remind Magazine is at their website because you save about 60% off the newsstand price. Just go to remindmagazine.com. That is remindmagazine.com. You should subscribe. We do. All three of us do. We love it. It's absolutely our favorite magazine, and you will love it, too. So check it out, remindmagazine.com. All right, it's time now for My Friend Irma. This was a situation comedy series set in Manhattan, came to radio in 1947, lasted all the way to 1954. It starred Marie Wilson as Irma Peterson. She was a dim-witted blonde stenographer. Her girlfriend and roommate was Jane Stacy, played by Kathy Lewis. It was a fun-filled show, and we have an episode now for you from April 5, 1948. It's called Irma's Inheritance. It stars Marie Wilson. Here's part one of My Friend Irma. Jane? Jane? What is it, Irma? Oh, Jane, why do people think I ought to be a novelist? A novelist? Well, I don't know, honey. What makes you say that? Well, every time I talk to them, they say, Irma Peterson, you're one for the books. <laughs> well, that's what you can expect when you listen to My Friend Irma. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend Swan. With my friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. <laughs> 
The other day, I was talking to an eminent psychologist, and he was telling me about a thesis he was writing, entitled, The Human Mind and Where It's Going. Then he met my roommate, Irma Peterson, and he changed the title to The Human Mind and Where It Got Lost. (laughs) Well, Irma affects different people, strangely, but me, Jane Stacy, I love her. In fact, I can't wait for the day to be over and the door to open and have Irma Peterson come into the room saying... Oh, Jane, Jane, I'm so disgusted with everything. I hate my job and the way my boss, Mr. Clyde, treats me. Why, honey? What happened today? Oh, it's all his fault. He yells and he gets me so confused. You? Confused? (laughs) Yes, he asked me to put some ice water in the pitcher on his desk, and then he asked me to fill his fountain pen with ink. I think I got mixed up. (laughs) What happened, honey? He was blue all day. (laughs) Well, honey, don't bring your work and your troubles home with you. Just relax. Here, here's part of the paper. Here's the comics. I don't feel like the comics, Jane. Haven't you got something light to read? (laughs) Irma, you know, really, you have lots to be thankful for. No, Jane, the future holds nothing for me. I can look at my mind and see there's nothing there. (laughs) Say, Irma... Listen to this story in the newspaper. What's it say, Jane? It says, Eccentric farmer leaves $50,000 to unknown niece. Henry Peterson, a farmer in Minnesota, was found dead. At his bedside was a note leaving his estate appraised at $50,000 to a niece named Irma. Investigators are seeking the whereabouts of the heiress. Irma, does that sound like one of your relatives? Gee, I don't know, Jane, uh... None of my uncles was eccentric. (laughs) Of course, there was my uncle Peter. He was kicked in the head by a mule, but he wasn't eccentric because he didn't shoot the mule. (laughs) He bought it bedroom slippers. Well, but Irma, uh, honey, did did you ever have an uncle named Henry? Henry, who was a farmer? I think so. Uh, He raised corn, but he got in trouble over distribution. Distribution? Yes, he wouldn't sell it by the bushel, just by the bottle. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a relative of yours. You know, Irma, I've got a funny hunch that you're liable to be the heiress. I'll get it, honey. Hello. Who? Mr. Silk of the law firm of Lerner, Daroff, and Matt? Yes. You want to talk to Miss Peterson? Oh, you're investigating all Irma Petersons. Uh, yes, yes, she's my roommate. You'd like to come out and interview her in regards to the estate of the late Henry Peterson? Y- yes, I-, I just read about it. You come right out. Uh, tell him to take a cab, Jane. I'll pay for it. Uh, yes, yes, it's, it's 8224 West 73rd Street, apartment 3B. We'll be waiting for you. Bye. Oh, Irma. Irma, I've got a terrible feeling that you're going to get $50,000. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you, I can just cry. (laughs) Don't cry, Jane, because when you cry, I cry. But, honey, I'm so happy, I have to cry. Well, let's both cry, Jane. Because now we can afford all the Kleenex in the world. <laughs> Come in. Uh... It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> <laughs> Girls, 
What's the matter? You're crying. Oh, Professor, something terrible has happened. My poor Irma, what is it? I just inherited $50,000. Oh, that's... The... What? That's right. Her Uncle Henry died. $50,000? Congratulations, Miss Peterson. Miss Peterson? You always called me Irma. Naturally. Yesterday you were a poor working girl everybody felt sorry for. But today you're a millionaire. But, Professor, money won't change me. I'm what I am, and nothing can be done about it. (laughs) I mean... Irma, my darling little pigeon, you mean now that you're rich, you'll still talk to a poor man like Kropotkin? Why not? The rich and poor can live together. After all, the Rockefellers talk to the Joneses. Irma, that's only because the Rockefellers own the phone company, and every time the Joneses talk, the Rockefellers get the nickel. Let's face reality, Irma, darling. You are lucky and you have our blessings. Of course, we're not sure that Irma's getting the money, Professor, but she seems to fit the general description of the family. Yeah, and a Mr. Silk from the lawyer's office is coming over to check on me. My, my, my little Irma, rich girl. Oh, what a life of luxury you'll lead. With money like that, you'll have a Parisian chateau. Oh, no, I look ridiculous in those French hats. Hello, girls. Hello, Professor. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Girls, could I trouble you for a little brown shoe polish? I left my eyelashes on the windowsill and the sun bleached one of them. (laughs) Oh, sure, Miss O'Reilly. Tell me, why is everyone looking so happy? I I just inherited $50,000. Irma, you've been in the sun too long, too. (laughs) No, it's true, Mrs. O'Reilly. We have an heiress in our midst. Glory be. Mm-hmm. Well, Irma, now that you're such a lady, I suppose you'd be expecting me to improve your quarters. What do you mean improve? Let me tell you, Mrs. O'Reilly, you would have to have this building painted, plastered, and completely renovated before you could get it condemned. <laughs> oh, hush with you. Just because your room's a mess? Well, maybe if you paid your rent, it wouldn't be. Don't worry, you'll get your rent. I'm raising the money. I'm charging visitors ten cents to look at my room. (laughs) Now you don't have to go to Europe to see the ruins of Pompeii. (laughs) Hush up now. If there's anybody's room, I'll fix it's Irma's. That is, if Irma will still prefer our humble company. Oh, of course I will. Uh, My money isn't going to change me. I'm a poor, simple girl. Fifty thousand dollars by her is poor. Hmm? Well, all right, I may not be poor, but I'm as simple as I always was. Gosh, I can't mingle with the rich. I'm not the kind of a person who likes to ride on foxes and go out with hounds. Oh, Irma, I know nothing will ever change you, honey. I'll always remember the sweet little girl who put my best evening gown in the stove when I asked her to baste the ham. Gee, Jane, we've had such wonderful times together. Mm. Yeah, I remember the time we went to the zoo and you offered to pay for an operation on the camel because you thought it was a horse with a crooked spine. (laughs) Oh, yes. Mine has been a rich, full life. Well, now that I see that I'm still the same sweet, charming girl as ever, I have news, too. You're all invited down to my place this evening for a little birthday party. Oh? It's my birthday. Oh, congratulations, Mrs. O'Reilly. I'd love to come. 
How old are you? <laughs> About 41. <laughs> 41? That's right. Mrs. O'Reilly is 41. But that's just around one ankle. <laughs> oh, hush with you, Professor. Well, I'll be seeing you later. Come along, Professor. I better go along with her and make sure she doesn't bake a cake or we'll all be dead by dawn. <laughs> oh, Jane, isn't this a wonderful day? I can't wait to tell Al about my inheritance. Uh, how do you think he'll take it, Jane? When Al finds out that you've inherited $50,000, you won't be able to pry him loose with a blowtorch. Oh, maybe that's Al now. Come in. How do you do? Uh, my name is William Silk. I'm the investigator. Which one of you is Miss Peterson? I am. Uh, Miss Peterson, did you by any chance have an Uncle Henry? Henry? Yes. You know, your Uncle Henry, the one we were reading about? Oh, yes. He was married to one of my aunts. Mm. Ah. <laughs> have you heard from your Uncle Henry recently? No, but I saw him about eight years ago, and we spoke for about an hour, but I couldn't understand him. Why not? He'd fallen down the well. <laughs> Well, Miss Peterson, this is a preliminary investigation. It's narrowed down to three people, you and two other young ladies from Minnesota. I must say that since talking to you, you sound like the most logical heiress of the deceased Henry Peterson. Come in. Oh, hello, Al, honey. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Jane. Hello, Al. Well, Miss Peterson, there's nothing more to be done at this time. You'll hear from us. Good luck to you. Uh, I'd like to ask you a few more questions, Mr. Silk. I'll see you to the front door. What's up, Chicken? Al, I've got some wonderful news to tell you. Uh, chicken, before you start, I got some wonderful news, too. I'm just finishing a great new deal. Painting tuxedos on ducks and selling them for penguins. <laughs> well, you won't have to worry about any more of your deals, Al, honey. I... I just inherited $50,000. Chicken, I told you you shouldn't eat before you go to sleep. <laughs> oh, no, Al. My, my Uncle Henry just died. Uh, that was a lawyer that was just here. Fifty G's? Mm -hmm. What a lump of dough. Why, the total rewards out for my friends don't equal that. Well, Al, now that I have money, we can get married, can't we? Married? On the contrary, Chick, we're through. Through? Certainly. Miss Peterson? Miss Peterson? I'm not Miss Peterson. I want to be Mrs. Al. Listen, Chicken, what kind of a guy would I be marrying a dame for her money? I realize that I don't have a job or any money in the bank or any immediate future, but at least I'm a self-made man. But, Al, I still love you. Well, I love you too, Chick, but it wouldn't work out. Money would change our point of view. We'd get married, you'd want to send the kids to Harvard. I'd want to send them to Macy's, let them work like the old man did. But, Al, No, Chicken, it's no use. We're on different sides of the track. You'll get in with that fast crowd that... Lives on roulette and baccarat and chocolate. Oh, no, Al. I'll cook whatever you like. Please, chicken. Let us not hurt each other any longer. It's one thing when people say, look at that bum, his wife works. But it hurts when they say, look at that bum, his wife supports him. So long, chicken. No, Al, I don't want anything. I want you. I'm satisfied with nothing. <laughs> Sorry, chicken. I'm not the gigolo type, so I think I'll blow. As the French say, hate a tape. Oh, Al. Al, come back. Oh, I'm a wealthy widow.
That's the first portion of My Friend Irma from April 5th, 1948, with Irma's Inheritance, starring Marie Wilson. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time it's the conclusion to My Friend Irma, then a good crime drama on Crime Does Not Pay from 1949. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.